Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the world's greatest boxing podcast, I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always by the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, the boxing scholar himself, Joel Ilier. Joel, how are you? I'm good, man. How you doing, Joe? I'm very good, thanks. I hear you're a man of the people. You've been meeting boxers, haven't you? Bumping into them into the local corner shop. It was a big moment, man. So yesterday I bumped into Chris Billum Smith down at the corner shop. Oh, wow. And the lady behind the counter, I was, um, I was buying my stuff. I was heavily uh, intoxicated. Focused. No, I was not intoxicated <laughs> at all, actually. It's on my way home. I don't get intoxicated. Uh, you were heavily focused. Heavily focused on the chocolate counter. <laughs> right. And I heard the woman behind the counter saying, do you, do, you, do you box professional, do you? She wasn't talking to you, mate, by the way. <laughs> no one's ever mistaken me for a yeah. boxer, mate. Right. And, um, but you turned around anyway. Yeah, and I looked up anyway, and I said, well, actually, I don't know. I said, I looked up, and there's Chris Binham Smith in front of me in the queue. Yeah. And he just really sheepishly, sheepishly like really genuinely sheepishly, yeah. just sort of went, oh, yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. And he went to leave the shop. Um, and I went, does he? box i said and then i tried to make a joke but i think it just came across like i was a sad bob yeah i went, <laughs> I went he's he's kind of a big deal <laughs> <laughs> Your moment he in the knew spotlight. i was joking because he laughed he knew i was met he knew the thing but and she was like what what she was and then i was like yeah, he's, uh, he's he's a professional boxer he's a world champion he's, i didn't say he was a world champion and i said he's he is he's i can't remember what i said i said something rubbish and then i turned around to him when and he's the gentleman. I don't know why, <laughs> but I came across like I thought I was bloody King of Leighton or something, yeah? <laughs> I've turned to him and I've gone, I've gone, oh, mate, like, we're really proud of you in the area. I think you're doing a great job, man. Just keep it going, man, and making the area proud, do you know what I mean? Now, look, I've moved into the Even area. Even though he's from Bournemouth. <laughs> yeah, he's from Bournemouth. On so many levels, this was wrong. Right? This, I've, I've can... moved into the area. Let me just get this out. I've moved into the area relatively recently. I don't lay claim on the place. Yeah. I like the place, but I can't go talking for its people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But um, no one knows who Chris Billum Smith in Leighton is, yeah. other than us. Yeah, like, exactly. Let's face it. Yeah. He's not famous in Leighton. Yeah. He's famous in Bournemouth. Yeah. That's his people. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, the best thing about the old thing was is that the lady behind the counter just acted as though she'd just met like Brad Pitt or something. Yeah. And she was just going to me, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. He comes in here all the time. I had no idea. I'm so embarrassed. And she could not stop laughing like it was the funniest thing that she didn't know who he was. Anyway, and then I said, oh, he's actually a world champion. Isn't he? Like once he'd left, I yeah, said, yeah. Oh, he's world champion, Chris Binham Smith. You should boycott her shortly. We'll yeah. respect him, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you've uh, disclosed the details of that because uh, when you told me earlier, I was I was a bit jealous. I have to say, well, no, because I made a bit of a tip myself, mate. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be jealous about <laughs> no, I'm it. I'm not jealous now. I, straight afterwards, <laughs> I thought that went really well. Well, that was lovely. I bet he really enjoyed that. And then later on, on reflection, I thought I was probably a bit weird there. Yeah, and yeah. you didn't ask him to, you know, come on the pod. Oh no, no, no. He's, <laughs> he's got better things to do, Joe. <laughs> Even I know that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So anyway, after your chance encounter with the one and only Chris Billum Smith, let's get straight to business. And there's not it's been quite a couple of weeks, and that's one of the reasons we didn't do the pod last week. There wasn't really much going on. But there there's been a little bit of news, a trickle of news, shall I say. Um let's start off with 
Prince Khalid and Skills Challenge because it appears they are now out of the picture with regards to boxing in Saudi. And a fine young man by the name of Turkey, Alal Sheikh, is now in charge. And I think he's um, the chairman of the General Entertainment Authority or something of that effect in Saudi. This is a bit of a weird one, but it looks like Skills Challenge have been pushed out of the picture. And of course, Alexander Usyk signed with the Skills Challenge in July. So God knows what that means in terms of whether he'll be able to get the big fights at heavyweight. Joel, give us a little bit more about this one. Yeah, so there's a couple of aspects to this one, Joe. I think major one, obviously, is what you just mentioned. Uh, Usyk is signed with Skills Challenge. Yeah. Skills Challenge seems to be out the window. We, we don't know what's going on there. Nothing's come out in public. Yeah. Um, but there is one thing with it is that that deal was being funded by the Saudi State Investment Company, yeah. uh, which is you know what's bought like Newcastle, PSG, not PSG, but a bunch of the other ones. It's, it's yeah. the Dubai State Investment Fund. Yeah. That money which funded Usyk, is now being controlled by um, uh, Turkey al-Al-Sheikh. Yeah. Um, so that's a real big difference, but we don't know what, what that means there quite. But what I found really interesting was an interview that this guy has done with IFL TV the other day. I saw. Where there is now a power shift in in the Saudi boxing. Yeah. He wants, seems to want absolutely nothing to do with Eddie Hearn and Matchroom. Yeah and was very vociferous in his support of uh, Frank Warren and uh, Bob, Bob Barron. Now, Frank Warren, <laughs> something that we don't sort of think about in a situation like this, is that this guy is, you know, part of the set out there. Yeah. Well, he's probably got a long memory, and his family probably does, and Frank Warren used to work with the Saudis years back, so he's got a relationship going back with Saudis sort of 20, 30-odd years. Yeah. Now, Eddie Hearn doesn't, and I, I don't believe that Barry Hearn does. Mm. And so this might count for something with them. There might be sort of long, long-term long ties here, yeah. which means that they don't want to do... They're loyal to Frank Warren, or at least whatever's happening, they don't want anything to do with Eddie Hearn and Matcham, it seems. So that's a yeah. massive power shift yeah. in Saudi boxing. Um, it means something different. What on earth is now going to be happening with the Anthony Joshua, Deontay yeah. Wilder fight, let's face it. Yeah, probably that's not gone happening cold, now. Yeah. Well, and no one's going to pay them anywhere near what the Saudis were willing to pay. Yeah. So all of a sudden for them, why are they going to fight? Mm. You know, they're not going to. And this was always the danger with the Saudi money, which we talked about. Another thing, this guy here, he's got his, Turkey al Said has his, al Sheikh, so he has his fingers in many, many pies, right? This guy... Apparently, he's a poet, he's a lyricist, he's yeah. a writer, he's a lover, he's a fighter. <laughs> he wrote one song, he wrote one poem, and now he's a, what is it, best-selling author best-selling in Saudi author Arabia. Best-selling author and all that. Look, um, you've you got to check out his, his um, Wikipedia account. It's very funny yeah. uh, with the lines that he's put in. But look, this guy, though, is the owner of Almeria, who are a Spanish football club. He's done really well with them. Yeah. He's a serious bloke. They've come from the Spanish sort of championship and they're now in the Spanish Premier League. Yeah. Um, that's a big deal. Yeah. He's, he's got a history in sports. He's also doing a lot of the stuff, this entertainment stuff across Saudi and all that. I doubt he's got that much time to dedicate to boxing. Yeah. Which makes me wonder whether the Saudis are as invested in boxing as they were just two or three months ago. Mm. One thing that I think may have happened here, Joe, is that this whole Saudi takeover of boxing mm. is maybe out the window, which I, for one, am glad of, and I think you are, and most of our listeners will be, weren't comfortable with the whole idea yeah. that that's where all the major fights were. I don't think that's going to happen. No. Looking at this now, 
it's going to be every now and again, there'll be some major event there. The sport ain't moving Saudi. I'm relieved. Also, this guy looks like a load of fun. He's an eccentric. This is a bloke who should be in boxing. Prince Khaled was a boring bloke. All praise be <laughs> Prince bloody Khaled. Who cares? He was just one of these figures that everyone comes out and says, oh, thank blooming Prince Khaled, then God and all that business. Yeah. Boring bloke just stood there, enjoyed being praised at press conferences. <laughs> Gave absolutely <laughs> nothing of interest. Was boring. Get out of the sport, mate. We don't want you there. This guy, all over it, mate. Do you know what? I reckon that um, Turkey Alal Sheikh should just be like, instead of saying, you know, praise to Prince Khalid, should be like, fuck Prince Khalid. I'm the man. <laughs> Imagine it if there was like a proper feud, a yeah. prince feud. Like, Caused by wicked, boxing. Yeah. <laughs> and then they... Square up in the ring and just have it out. It's well, I mean. there's a market for Tell it. So, your differences, is yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Get a YouTuber can. Yeah. Do big I, numbers, man. Probably would. Yeah. Right. E- excellent story, Joel. Really interesting. And it, we'll see how that one plays out. Right. Um, Terence Crawford has, well, I say he's offered Errol Spence a rematch at 147, but I thought that, actually, correct me if I'm wrong, Joel, the rematch, which was contractually stipulated was done on such terms that it could be either 147 or the or 154. 154. Yeah. Terence Crawford's offered it at 147 and I, yeah. from what I gather there's no obligation for him to agree to it at 154. No. No, this whole thing it was that the whole point was is that it would be at 147 or 154 and it would be up to the winner, the victor, yeah. who decides what weight it's at. Now, Terence Crawford from the beginning has said, no, I'm happy to move up to 154 because otherwise the fight isn't viable. Yeah. So I think this is Terence just going, oh. Not interested. Not interested. Let's just move on. Yeah. You know, so he's saying, all right, you want to get it done, you come down to 147, but let's Spence face can't it, do it. No. no one's interested in this fight. Yeah. And the whole thing is that at 147, we've seen what happens. Yeah. The only interest in this fight would be, oh, could Errol Spence make it, you know, competitive. do anything, make it competitive yeah. off at a high weight. Yeah. But then again, the reason that this fight was a massive fight was because it was an undisputed fight at the weight. Yeah. So what value does this match have up at 154? I can't see it myself. Yeah, no, totally agree with you on that one. Um, right. Other than that, there's not been much, so we're going to jump straight to the Kinahan of the week. So there's a couple of... Unfortunately, it just seems to be such a prevalent thing in boxing these days, but it's a couple of failed tests, I'm afraid, yet again. We'll start off with journeyman Polish heavyweight Kamil Sokolowski. He's just received a three-year ban after admitting doping violations after a failed UCAD urine test taken immediately after his November 6th bout with Frazier Clark. He obviously didn't win that one, but that does not matter really in the context of the story. And then Joe Cusimano, who somewhat surprisingly uh, a month or two ago beat Adam Kawanaki, he has failed a drugs test. And this one's interesting for a couple of reasons. The So I, I'm not quite sure what he's been, uh, what substance has been detected, but Matram obviously released a statement confirming that he returned an adverse analytical finding and it's obviously being uh, investigated by the New York State Athletic Commission. But the other thing which I found interesting regarding this is you, you've got to feel sorry for Adam Kawanaki because... This isn't the first time he's lost to a boxer who's 
turns out is a drug cheat. Um, if you look back at his, because he was on a pretty good run up until he fought uh, a certain Robert Hellenius. He's done a great run. And he lost those two fights. And Robert Hellenius, because I remember you telling me, he said he looked bloody excellent in those two fights. He mm. actually good enough to give the top contenders a, a you know a bit of trouble. Career best form in his late thirties. Exactly. Where I wonder why that is. <laughs> Obviously, we now know that Robert Hellenius failed a drugs test after the shortly after the AJ fight, in which he was a late replacement for a certain Dillian White, who'd also failed a test. So, Joel, you've got an interesting point to make about the way these drug tests now are sort of affecting boxers at all levels of the sport. Yeah, I think it's interesting what's happened just over the last couple of months, really. Let's actually take that back over the last year because let's, let's group Conor Ben into this. Yeah? yeah, Let's look at the profile of the people that have failed tests now. So we've got this Kusumano. He is one step above journeyman, I'd say. Mm. Um, he is, I think he's something like 21 and, uh, 20 and 4 or 21 and 4, something like that. Yeah. Um, Got blasted out by Dubai in one round. Yeah, and he's he beats Journeyman and loses every time he steps up. Yeah. That's what he is. Yeah. Middle of the road heavyweight. Yeah. He's just failed. We had the fella a couple of weeks ago, um, sorry, this week, yeah. who's just failed. The guy who's failed against uh, Fraser Clark. So Carol Fraser, Sokolovsky. Yeah, Sokolovsky. Yeah. So he um, is a European jobbing heavyweight. He's a real journeyman with journeyman record. Um, he's, you know, he's lost more than he's won. And he's failed after his fight with Fraser Clark. So you've got that at the bottom of the rung there. You've got a journeyman fighter. You've then got a sort of guy, let's, let's call him a sort of gatekeeper type. Yeah, yeah. Now then... Let's go up. Then who else has failed a test? We've had Dillian White over yeah. the last few months has failed world a test. World-level contender. He's a world contender. Yeah. So he's your sort of top 10 guy. Mm. He's failed a test. You've got Connor Ben, who's a superstar, young superstar, coming through, upcoming, opposite end of the scale to Dillian White. But in that same top 10, yeah. he's just getting there. He's there, ready to break the doors down. He fails a test. Yeah. Right. So we've got all that covered. And then we've got Alicia Baumgardner. Yeah. Undisputed champion at her weight. Biggest in her division, mm. all of this. She's cream of the crop in her in her part of her sport. Yeah. She's a superstar. She's failed. So what we've got, mate, we've got fighters at every single level of the sport failing tests. Yeah. This wasn't a question I actually was going to ask you, but I was thinking about it when, but just before we did the pod, I sort of made a bit of a comment about it. But does this put you off boxing a little bit? Oh, no. Genuinely. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Not at all, Joe. I love the sport, and this is one of the reasons I do, because you've got all of these storylines and this madness and this yeah. horrible stuff. That's what attracts me to the sport. It's dirty, mate. Yeah, I, I get that. But, but, you know, obviously, what if we have an incident in the ring where you've got a you know, drugs cheat who does serious damage to someone? Then I will be terribly judgmental of the oh, person, of the person. That's <laughs> taking drugs in that situation. <laughs> and then you'll watch the, the next fight, what, whoever's fighting. Uh, I mean, I get what you're saying. I'm not certainly not going to be, I'm certainly not of the view that... Well, no, you've asked the question. I mean, yeah. does it? Does it make you feel it, different? It makes me feel slight, a, a bit uncomfortable knowing that I'm, you know, because it really seems so prevalent now in boxing that all, that you... You watch fights, and or, or you're you're thinking, who isn't on it really? Who isn't? And you know, or are there are there even you know are there substances that you can take which aren't you know illegal? Which which you, I don't know are pushing the boundaries because they've got to be. It's such a dangerous sport which requires such unbelievable fitness and stamina. 
It, I, I just I just don't like it because I, I do think that we're going to get to a point where we are going to see someone get really badly hurt in the ring by a drug cheat. And then it's, you know, I think my perception of it is that it's not necessarily me becoming uncomfortable with boxing, but it's more the reputation of boxing, you know, I, elsewhere. But, it becomes such a tarnished sport that, you know, when you tell someone, oh, I like my boxing, they'll just think, oh, you're a bit of an idiot. Yeah, well, yeah, well, there is, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Um, I think that look, what you're saying is is really interesting. But I think that I made for me on a personal level, yeah. uh, made peace with this a long time ago. Yeah, because you know I'm a cynical sod. Yeah, and for me, I look back at a lot of the '90s action, mm. which oh, was yeah, just such an amazing right, era then. of boxing <laughs> in sort of middle way upwards. I mean, it's just brilliant. Um, you look at those films, I mean, they're all on anabolic steroids. I mean, all of the top guys had acne all over their back. Yeah. They're all looking weird. They're all, their bodies are chiseled made of stone, utter stone yeah. and rock. I mean, you know, let's just think back to a few of those fights where fighters got killed or maimed in the 90s mm. and you want to watch them in the ring and look at their opponents. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but they were taking, there are some cases that are unquestionably taking what I would just clearly say would be anabolic steroids yeah. at the time. So this has happened. People have died in the ring in our sport yeah. against, at the hands of people who were cheating but didn't get caught. Mm. That's clearly gone on. It, it is. I mean, it, this is the doldrums of sport. Yeah, it, I mean, it's I, undoubtedly happening. You know, I worry about boxing, its potential to become, you know, a bit of a mainstream sport again. I, you know, at this rate, it's never going to happen because mainstream TV is never going to touch it, you know, with all the corruption and drugs tests being failed left, yeah, right. Yeah, you, so. you just wonder, but you know, what just, appetizers are going to want, want yeah. to be involved after a while. But I want to move on as, uh, on the same subject, though. Yeah. Um, this has given me my opportunity to talk about David Price. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> Just as you're mentioning how unlucky Kaunaki may have been in his career, yeah. um, all these losses, these losses that he's received against uh, drugs cheats. Well. We just have a look at David Price's career. I mean, the guy was going great guns. And uh, then in 2013, he fought Tony Thompson. Yeah. Uh, got suddenly knocked out in the second round, went back, rematch, got knocked out in the fifth round. Tony Thompson subsequently failed a drugs test. Yeah. So he was a drugs cheat. Yeah. Um, those two, um, Fights just ruined his career, really. Yeah, they did. But then a couple of years later, 2015, uh, he fights um, he fights Erkin Tipa for the EBU heavyweight title. And um, after that, Tipa um, fails a drugs test straight after the fight. Yeah. And that gets, uh, I think that got actually turned into a no contest, that one. Mm. Um, Christian Hamer, he, he fought him, lost to him. Hamer failed a drugs test. Uh, Alexander Povetkin, uh, well, years before he ever fought Povetkin, uh, Povetkin was failing <laughs> drugs tests, multiple drugs tests. Um, so look, let's look at his career, yeah. all of those losses. And the poor guard says his first five, four or five losses were to certified drugs cheats. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah, definitely. It does make you wonder, like, the career trajectory, yeah. you know, could it have changed? Because he was such a confidence fighter as well. Yeah. You know, and, even and, when he was winning, he was—he seemed sort of on edge, confidence-wise. And, and it's a—it's a sport in which confidence is absolutely key. You know, it is one of those sports where I think one defeat can just absolutely ruin you. Hundred percent. Right. Let's try and move on to something more positive. <laughs> let's preview the Zhili Zhang Joe Joyce rematch. I'm looking forward to this one. Um, 
I'm going to ask you for your prediction, Joel, and I have a funny feeling I know where you, which way you're going on this based on your uh, prediction for the first fight. Yeah, I'll just come out straight straight away with it. I, I think that Zhang, uh, he stops Joyce at some point. It's probably yeah. second half of the fight, I think. Joyce probably lasts a little bit longer, but he'll stop him second half. I've very little doubt. I have to, I'm going to pick you up on this one mm-hmm. and I'll tell you why. I So here's my prediction. I predict, I'm, I reckon Joe Joyce is going to stop Zheili Zhang in the second half of the fight. And, a few, a few reasons why. I can't see Joe Joyce performing as badly as he did. And the re- I think the reason he lost the first fight was he just lost it in the first two rounds because he just got clobbered with the straight left constantly in that first two in the first two rounds. After that, he was he was still tagged clean, but not as not as often as he was in those two rounds. And he was starting to work his way back into into the into the fight. <clears throat> the point I want to pick you up on about, about you saying you think that Zhang will stop him in the second half of the fight. But why do you think that to be the case when the the, the first victory was a, a, ref, uh, was a, a, a referee stoppage on the basis of the doctor's advice? Joe Joyce, albeit he was hurt in that fight, was still showing that Joe Joyce ability to just stay on his feet despite no. taking no, tremendous no. punishment. No, I read that first fight differently than you. I, I thought that Joe Joyce was surviving throughout, uh, what was it, five rounds. Mm. Survived just about. He was on the verge of getting knocked out multiple times. The eye injury sped up a process that was in motion. He yeah. was due to be stopped in that fight. He was getting his absolutely battered. I disagree Again, in that the damage was all received in the first couple of rounds. Not the damage was all received, but the I think the the com the basically the confidence that Zhang got from those two rounds. I think he almost felt like oh, there's no way I can lose this fight. So now. you're saying the pattern of the fight the was pattern set. Of the fight was set exactly. Thing is, though, is that Joe Joyce always takes a beating in the first couple of rounds. He's not capable of getting out of the way. Now you know what I. Think of Joe Joyce. I think he's a fantastic fighter. Yeah, I thought that before the last fight, mm. and I think it, I think it now. Mm. I also thought before the last fight that there's one heavyweight in that Tom fifteen that if I was Joe Joyce, I run a mile for him, and that is Yule Zhang. Yeah, Zhang is the wrong style of opponent for Joyce. Zhang can sit in the pocket. Yeah. and can fire. He can take Joyce's punches. He won't bothered for a second by Joyce's punches in that yeah. fight. The fact is, is that. Joyce has built this reputation on being able to take punishment, but always by smaller heavyweights. For the first time, he was in the ring with a a fellow big man Mm. who was also had just as much skill, if not more than him, Mm. and he couldn't take the fire coming back at him. The reason why I'm saying second half of the fight is that Joyce will come in a little bit heavier. You're talking logic, basically. And you know, I sometimes when I give my predictions, they're not necessarily based on logic. But I'm also, you know, I'm looking at the um, potential for rematches to go the other way. And we obviously had one recently. We've with had a Hugh, few. Eubank, Liam yep. Smith. Um, I just think that jo- there's, I, if Joe Joyce just basically moves to his left, which is what he should be doing, and there were, there were periods in that fight when he actually did, later on, consistently start moving to his left and he was avoiding the left hand. I think, you know, I think that as long as he can do that in the early rounds, and and you've got a thing that he's going to do it because there's no way he can afford to lose this fight. He cannot afford to lose this fight. So for me, it's just, I don't want to say it's simple because it's not. Zheili Zhang's a great fighter. I think he's a great fighter. But I think... As long as Joe Joyce can just stay out of the way of that left hand, and to me, it is as simple as just 
you know, A, he's going to be naturally cautious anyway from the, as a result of the first fight. Plus, it's just, you just need to move to your left and be a bit more savvy defensively. He's too slow. I, I know what you're saying, but I, I, I think he will be. I think he'll be able to do it. And as long as the fight goes into that second half and he doesn't have like a basically guy that's closed, I think he'll win. I really hope you're right. I, I think he'll win, and I think he'll, you know, because I do think that, because I, and again, it's not necessarily about the stats of the fight, you know, the numbers, the combi box numbers, but you look at them from the first fight. Shang Bear doesn't fr- throws hardly anything, mate. Yeah, it was but the first two exploded rounds. Exploded on his chin. Yeah, but it was the first two rounds when he did throw his volume, and then mm. after that, it dropped so considerably. Joe Joyce's volume was ridiculous. Again, I know you watched the fight recently. Again, I haven't, and I'm sure he just wasn't in the fight, but. For me, it's just the case of don't don't get that don't take that damage early on because if you get Zhang into the second half of the fight, I think there's a very good chance you you either win it on point. Well, he, if it goes to points, I can't see Joyce, Joyce losing it. He's the home fighter, um, but I could see Zhang potentially gassing out. You know, he's an old man. Um, he is an old man. Yep. And and Joe Joyce is that sort of fighter. I think if he gets that confidence, if he feels like he's in a good position coming up to halfway, he'll still be able to pour it on. Well, fair so, enough. But so that that is uh, that that is where I give him a small chance. Yeah. Joyce, think if he's going to do it, is yeah. what you just say. Essentially, what you're saying there, and what I think in the fight, if Joe Joyce is going to win the fight, basically Zhang's got to tire himself out by unloading on his chin. Yeah. And that is his hope. And when that is your hope in a fight, and I think that's a sensible reading of it because Joyce couldn't really land much on Zhang and Zhang could land at will on Joyce. Yeah. I think that the, and Zhang is old. He's got a history of fading as fights go on. Yeah. So I do think that the only chance to give him is is that. Yeah. I give Joyce far less of a chance in this fight than I gave him in the last fight. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I I I I give him think, more, more of a chance. I, I just think if he if he's really learnt his lessons from the first fight and you know, don't, I just don't, I don't I still I, I just think it was one of those fights that he just like you say, but pick the worst opponent. Fought the worst possible. Looked like he'd never fought a southpaw in his life. Came in ridiculously light. Underway. As long as he comes in heavier, I just think everything is in place potentially for him to to right that wrong. Plus, I think it's the, I think the the a big factor will be the fact that he just cannot afford to lose this fight. So I think he's going to go in there, well up for it, well focused. Just not going to let Zhang. Boss, those and for me it is actually even less. It's those first two, maybe three rounds, gets through them unscathed, and the pattern of the fight hasn't been set like it was. I think he's going to win. It's a massive fight for Joyce, isn't it? Oh, it is. I it, mean, we look. It's it's one of those moments. I mean, he's going to go into that ring on Saturday night, knowing yeah. full well that the next however many minutes, up to thirty six minutes, are going to define his career. Mm. It, not his career, but his life. Because mm. if you're a boxer, your peak moments define your life. The, that's what it comes down to. It's a crazy life, isn't it, yeah. for these guys? When yeah. they come in, he, he's going in there against someone he knows categorically can blast him out. Yeah. And it's the first time he's gone in with someone and known that. Mm. And everything's on the line. All his money, his dreams, his aspirations, mm. his reputation, everything is on the line there. Yeah. And it's going to be the truth machine again, man. Yes, exactly. I love that ring. I think it's going to be an exciting fight. I really do. I think we're going to see a better Joe Joyce. I still think Zhang's going to be very dangerous. I think it's a, it's a cracking fight. And it's a shame, we've got to say this, that this is basically the best heavyweight matchup that we've had all year. Yeah. 
you know, which speaks a lot for the state of the heavyweight division. We have to say that. And let's congratulate it's... these guys for doing it again and going in again. Another one of these almost pointless rematches is yeah. ones where he got so one-sided in the first fight. Yeah. Going to the second one, you might be picking him to win, but after that first fight, you were no one was screaming for a rematch. Do you know what I mean? No, so no, it's not one of them ones. It's just a contractually obliged rematch. Yeah. So we've got it, but as it as it happens, still one of the best heavyweight fights of the year. Exactly. Love it. Right, Joel, you did the, uh, or you picked the magazine last week, so you shall do our magazine lottery, and you are doing it on a certain Welshman. Who might that be? Not Joe Calzaghi. Yeah, Nathan Cleverly was uh, the other Welsh wizard. He, he wasn't the Joe Calzaghi one, but he fought out at the Joe Calzaghi gym mm. uh, with Enzo Calzaghi. Um, and he was a major figure in British boxing in the 2010s, basically. Yeah. Um, he sort of burned bright for a really short period of time, yeah. this man. So he was from Caerphillian, Wales, yeah. and started out his career training with his dad. Um, he then moved over to the Calzaghi stable. Now, this was a time where the top Welsh Welsh boxers would all just go and join that. Yep. Joe Calzaghi stable with his dad, Enzo Calzaghi, in Newport, yep. Wales. And so at the time, you had Nathan Cleverly there, you had Bradley Price, Gavin Reese, Gavin Reese and Enzo Macronelli. Yep. So them guys, these were like the best days in Welsh boxing history. And they were all world contenders as well. They were all contenders. They all won European belts, British world belts, titles. world titles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bradley Price was the only one who didn't win Maybe a world belt. Yeah. But he did win a Commonwealth. Yeah. I remember yeah. Bradley. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and he won a British, I'm pretty sure. Um, so they were all title holders. It was a brilliant gym at the time. Yeah. And they came out with sort of quite a similar style, a lot of them. So Nathan Cleverly had this sort of slight hybrid, sort of Joe Calzaghi sort of all fast twitch, loads of punches, yeah, and amazing cardio. Yeah, he, and he was just an entertaining guy. Um, he was also had a mass degree, yeah, uh, which I think for any boxer is surprising. Um, <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> I doubt he remembers much of his, his degree now. Do you know what I mean? It was a tough career. It was a tough oh, career. But anyway, gosh. so Nathan Cleverly, he sort of burnt bright and fast as a as a British light heavyweight. Um, and I'll talk you through a bit of his career. It's a career worth remembering, I think. Yeah. Um, so when he started his career, he was actually a student mm. and he was he was studying at Cardiff University and he graduated, you know, after a couple of years of his career. So he was, he was a part-time boxer. Yeah, yeah. So while he was a part-time boxer, he, um, in 2006, he beat a 7-0 Tony Quigley in his seventh fight. That was on the undercard of Kawasaki against Bikar, Sakio Bikar. Yep. Um, then in his 13th fight in October 2008, he beat Tony Oki on points on a way ground in Liverpool. And that was for his first title, the Commonwealth Light Heavyweight title. Did he stop him or was it a points? No, it was a points decision, yep. that yep. one. Um, so this, again, was a feature of... Uh, his early career was that he didn't get many stoppages. Mm. He was, when he was making a name for himself, he was actually just winning these early fights on points. So he's, he's taking four rounders to points. Yeah. And he should have been stopping his guys, but he was matched tough early doors. Yeah. We're talking after eight fights, he's already beaten Tony Quigley and Tony Oki. Yeah. No, these are sort of good big fighters. figures, yeah. good fighters. And they were then around for a long time on the British scene. Um, and then people really started taking notice in a sort of breakout performance against a guy called Danny McIntosh. Now, this was on the 18th of July, 2019. McIntosh was trained by... Not 2019, surely, 2009, uh, 2009, John. that might have been. <laughs> um, he, um, no, he 
trained with Brendan Eagle at the mm. Winker Bank gym. Uh, so he was one of these guys. And the fight was live on ITV as well. So it was a big fight. Uh, this was a vacant British like heavyweight title and the Commonwealth title that yeah. he held, that cleverly held. Now, early in this fight, coming into the fight, Obviously, you've got this punch record, this record, this KO record of Cleverly. doesn't have many stoppages. So all the talk going in was that Danny McIntosh is this puncher and oh, Cleverly gosh. could maybe outbox him. Yeah. And all this. Well, they go in there and right at the beginning of the fight, Duke McKenzie on commentary stating that McIntosh is the heavy-handed. John Rawlin immediately picked up on the fact that, no, actually, we're watching what we're watching in front of us. Cleverly is clearly the bigger puncher. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, Cleverly is a young guy got his brofs, but whatever the fuck was going on, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and all of a sudden, he's a puncher. Yeah. And he went into this fight, and it was a brilliant fight. So he started fast. Cleverly was consistently getting the better of the action straight away. Mm. Atmosphere was amazing. Targeting the body. Second round, Cleverly floors Danny twice. Right, you think the fight's over. The second of the knockdowns was, you know, one of the bigger knockdowns you'll see. It yeah. was like a massive left hook yeah. followed by a right hook yeah. as Danny McIntosh was sort of stepping. He was going back in straight lines. Yeah. Now, McIntosh is down on the floor. He's got his hands behind his head. You think he's just knocked clean out. Mm. The referee carries on counting. Mate, then Danny McIntosh, he did one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in the British ring. Yeah. I couldn't remember this. Yeah. I watched a replay the other day. I couldn't remember this ever happening. Mate, he flips himself off at the count of eight. Yeah. Joey, don't stand up. Listen to what I say. Like flips. He flipped himself up at the count of eight. Wow. After suffering like a horrendous knockdown, he must have been dizzy and the fella just brings out his nose. Yeah. He just flipped up. I wonder if he thought, I don't know if I stand up, will I get up at 10? But if I flip up, I think it's slightly different. I think he's thinking the ref's going to stop the fight. Yeah. The only way you can't stop a fight if a fighter bloody flips himself yeah, up off the ground. You? What sort of referee worth their salt is going to stop a fight? He's going to shake his it's hand and exactly, say, well done, mate. Which he basically did. He just called the action back on. <laughs> Bing, bang, bosh. Lasted another five years, uh, five years, five rounds before okay. he was knocked out. Right. So fair enough. It was the right decision by the ref and McIntosh. You know, he had he had obviously a lot left in, in the uh, tank. Yeah, yeah. But he ended up getting absolutely battered. He should have stayed down. Yeah. In that second round, shouldn't have flipped up. Should have flipped himself <laughs> right out of that ring, mate. <laughs> but he didn't. So anyway, that was his coming out party. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a big one. After that, he made several defences of those titles before being sort of handed the WBO title after a sort of ridiculous mess. So he didn't actually have a fight for the world title. He was handed it. No, he was, he was meant to. Right. right. So he was meant to be fighting long-reigning WBO champ Jürgen Bremer. Yeah. Uh, Bremer was a highly respected yeah. German champion. Yeah. Uh, he was around on the world scene at super middle and light heavy for donkey's years. Yeah. Um, as respected as they come, really, in the super middleweight European yeah, sort of yeah. scene. Um, so it was a really good fight. Um, he pulled out, Bremer pulled out with like, I think it was about three days left before the fight. What was his reason? He started an eye injury, one of, oh, them, yeah. one of them German injuries. Um, <laughs> and um, so in comes Tony Bellew. Oh, so they gave, oh, instead yes. of the WBO being the WBO, they gave Cleverly the title instead of making it for the vacant belt, right. know, whatever. Um, fine. So they've handed him his title. Tony Bellew comes in, proper rag in the build-up. Everyone's happy. Bellew then fails the 3% check weight. 
uh, the day before the weigh-in. So you've got to be within 3% of the limit the day before the weigh-in for the British Boxing Border Control to approve the fight. Yeah. Um, he didn't make that. And so British Border Control, you know, they, they took away his licence for the fight. So de- someone else had to step in. Yep. So then he got his third opponent in two <laughs> days. Um, and it was the pole Alexei Kuziemski. Right. Um, now, he was a sort of, uh, he fought quite a few guys, Karen Murat and stuff like that back in the day. He Not was, at the again, level of cleverly, was, though. But no, he wasn't. Uh, well, he was a sort of, he was a he was a gatekeeper, I guess, at the weight. Yeah. But Nathan won that one easily by KO. Yeah. In his next fight, he then beats Tony Bellew. That, that sort of brief thing had made a really big fight. Yeah. And I seem to remember this was Box Nation, one of the really early, early doors Box Nation fights. Okay. I seem to remember this being on. Was and this a points win? It was. It was a really good fight. Yeah. Um, they both put it all on the line. One of them rare fights where two young boxers go in and the winner and loser came out with their reputation seriously enhanced. enhanced yeah. Both of them came out in this country as proper name fighters. Yeah. Moved them both on to the next level. They actually fought again these two years later, but with after Nathan's career had taken a a turn mm. and it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't the same. Mm. And it, it was an awful fight as well, actually. Um, I don't think Cleverly's heart was in it, but hey, yeah. oh, is what it is. After this one, he had three more sort of defences and through this period, Sergei Kovalev, who was this fierce Russian fighter. Who'd killed a man in the ring once. He, he had killed a man in the ring and he'd... Not um, like... Main, you know, no, no, killed a man in the ring. Yeah, in, maimed, you know, in a boxing match. Yeah, I mean, yeah. didn't, no didn't just involved. randomly kill someone. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just it, wanted to clarify that. That's it, it was an above-board killing. Yes. Right? And he was making waves in the division, climbing up the WBO rankings. Uh, he was a man, he was such a respected fighter, um, mm. Kovalev. And he was a good uh, amateur, amateur well, days. Yeah. yeah, he was an amateur world champion, which was, the back then, the world championships were harder to win than the Olympics. Yeah. And he he was a world champion. Came in cleverly in the build-up. Cleverly in his stand were just didn't, weren't acting like this was the fight that it was. They kind of didn't seem to realise how good Kovalev is. Yeah. They really wanted the fight. Yeah. They took it, yeah. Cardiff Ice Rink, and it was a massive mistake. This was very unlike um, a sport network yeah. move. This wasn't something that Frank Warren would do. He didn't put, he had a guy called um, Dean Powell, who unfortunately um, passed away a few years after this, but he was one of the best matchmakers in the game. Mm. And how these two put cleverly in with Kovalev, I will never ever know. They did, and it ended quite predictably. Mm. Um, Cleverly by this time was it was such an exciting fight. I thought at the time that he might go on to really sort of dominate uh, the light heavyweight division, and it's like it's kind of one of them Zhang things. Going, what are you doing fighting him? Yeah. So, so were you of that view at the time? Yeah, hundred percent. Who I, did you think would win that fight then? I thought Cleverly was going to win. Yeah. It's only in retrospect what an utter mismatch it was for me, but the people close to him should have known yeah. what was going on. I, no, I thought that Cleverly had winning a really, really hard tough fight. Tough fight, yeah. Really tough fight, but I thought that Cleverly was the goods. Yeah. He'd shown it to me, you know, yeah. he'd shown it in that belly fight. He'd shown it just early doors in the McIntosh fight. You know, yeah. I'd always thought, when I saw him coming up, I just thought, this guy just has skills, stamina, power to burn. Yeah. He just seemed to have it all. Yeah. But his head was... a. I not think not place. quite yeah. right, you know, yeah. and in that Kovalev fight, if there's ever an example of a play, uh, fighter with his head not in the fight and, and paying for it, it, it was then, he was stopped by the ref and he was sort of led away by the ref with his sort of arm, arm around, him, around yeah. his shoulders and cleverly looked like a little kid. 
He did, yeah. Yeah. Like, I've never seen someone reduced to size in a ring like that mm. before. And he did not ever recover. Mm. And it was tough. So after this one, after all that promise in his career, he won a couple of fights after that, non-district fight, lost that rematch with Tony Bellew that nearly stopped pay-per-view on Sky. In fact, I think it did stop pay-per-view on Sky for many years. Was that a points defeat? That was a points defeat, split decision. I watched that, Joe, in a pub in Angel with a non-boxing friend, uh, (laughs) supporting a couple of mates, actually, who didn't, went into boxing and I forced them into this pub. Oh, like, now there's this fight trust going to be brilliant. <laughs> I think we might have even paid like a fiver entry or whatever because it was a pay-per-view. No, nah, money'd be worth it. And we sat in silence for about yeah. 45 minutes watching this turgid show. Oh, no. uh, but it was that. Another fight, I remembered him kind of going missing after that Kovalev fight. It turned out he didn't because he, he fought reasonably regularly after that. Ended up fighting Andre from Fara in a, on a PBC, signed with PBC in that time where Al Heyman and PBC were just spending loads of money and had loads of fight cards. Yeah. Fought Andre Fanfara in a really good fight, actually. But again, he just didn't have the resilience anymore. You could see with him, he didn't like he didn't like the punches coming back at him. Yeah. Then had finally had that fight with Jürgen Bremer, when Bremer's about 55 years old or something. <laughs> um, and he he's wins a bloody WBA world light heavyweight title in that fight. He still looked a shadow of the man. He never got it back finally losing to Badu Jack in his final fight for that WBA title. Was he that, stopped in that fight? He was stopped and stopped badly. He could not take the punishment. Remember, he started really fast, but every time Badu Jack landed, Cleverly's whole body just sort of yeah. shuddered. And it was the same in that Fonfara fight, and it was the same in that Kovalev fight. As Cleverly's body developed yeah. and it grew in size, it then turned out, for whatever reason, whether it was boiling himself down to make a weight, yeah. whether it was a bit of the Amir Khans, yeah. whatever it was, he could not take the punishment anymore. Yeah. And there's people now, apparently he's um, now quite vocal on social media and he has apparently quite a lot of fans sort of saying he should make a comeback because he looks in really good shape, I think he's into weightlifting and stuff like that these days. Yeah. Trust me, there was... I've. Not sure I've ever seen a fighter so shot, so young as Nathan Cleverly. Please, you gave your best to the sport. Don't ever come back. And then people that are asking you to, they don't know shit, mate. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to the Kovalev fight. And I want to touch on a piece uh, in Boxing News. Actually, it was very recently, maybe uh, two editions ago. They did um, an interview with... uh, uh, various people who were around at that time for that fight, Frank Hover, uh, Frank Warren and, and and some others. I can't remember who exactly they spoke to, but I do remember specifically Frank Warren, his part of the interview. And he, you know, he said on that night that he, you know, he, he felt unbelievably disappointed in Nathan Cleverly for, for two for two reasons. Didn't seem tuned up at all to what he was facing. And he said that his dad was also... of. of playing that way as well. You know, they just didn't seem to realise that they were, this was going to be, you know, in retrospect, by far and away the toughest fight that you'll ever have. And they just, they they didn't have the mentality for it. The other thing as well, which was really interesting, is that he more or less said that he, he, he felt after that fight, more or less as soon as that fight finished, that Nathan Cleverly had no interest left in the sport. That was it. His heart wasn't in the game. He was done. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it can happen. Who are we, you know, to, to, to judge? It must be a horrific experience to train for a boxing fight, full stop. Let's just say that because it ain't bloody easy, really hot. You must have, you're going to have to really love the sport to want to put yourself through, you know, that grueling regimen. But yeah, what, 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 there's, I don't think there's anything wrong. You know, it could just be that for him, it was a, a sport which he used. He was talented at it. He used it to make money. He did well. Maybe he loved it for, for a while. And then the reality hits. You fight, you take, you fight someone who basically, sort of beats that motivation and the heart out of you. And that's fine as well. I think there's know? a couple of couple of theories behind this. I think something we probably don't think about enough mm. is that when something happens to you, like what happened to Nathan Cleverly against Sergei Kovalev, yeah. he went out in his mind a major favourite mm. in his home country, vociferous mm. fans behind him. Yeah. Big fight on TV, yeah. all over the newspapers. Yeah. The guy got his pants pulled down. Yeah. It would have been traumatic for him. Oh, yeah, totally. And when I look at Cleverly, yeah. after that, just look at him. Just, well, he just looked like he suffered from post-traumatic stress syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just looks yeah. like he's, he's just got this haunted yeah. sort of air about him and his jumpiness in the ring. Yeah. It would yeah. be, after that, it would be flinchy in the ring. Yeah. So I think there's that, I think that, he, he could have just been traumatised, really badly mentally scarred from that mm. fight in, in a way that he found it difficult to recover from. Yeah. The talk at the time was actually, the, and this was right away through his career, he's a bit bright for a boxer. I'd love to know what he's doing right now. Hopefully it's something uh, pure mathematically related. Apparently just spending <laughs> his days on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. No. Good piece, Joe. I really enjoyed that. And yeah, I mean, I remember, God, Nathan Cleverly. I remember being completely shocked about the Sergei Kovalev fight. I... You know, I'm not a boxing scholar like you, but, you know, no, I was into not, my boxing. No. Yeah, cheers, mate. It's <laughs> into my boxing, but I genuinely thought he's got, you know, this isn't even a fight that's really on my radar. He'll win. It's Nathan Cleverly. He's a great fighter. Kovalev word on your radar. No, though. it wasn't. I, yeah. I, I, honestly, that's how, I mean, I genuinely don't think then I had a real awareness of those sort of, I guess the fighters who are a bit under the radar. You yeah, don't they really were a bit, know... And- and you know, they, they respect they, they, those who are who really know, they know. And you had to really stand out back in the day as an Eastern European. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, did, we just weren't really interested, were we, in the Eastern yeah. European fighters, you know, unless you were Eastern European, Australian, like mm. Kostya Zoo or yeah. something like that. It had some sort of glamour or something about it. Yeah. We're interested. Kovalev was the first one to come along in that wave yeah. that sort of crossed over and it was only after that fight. Yeah. So say it was like, you know, I was reading boxing news every week. So, yeah, you saw Kovalev coming through and yeah, yeah. all of this. But, of course, like, if you were not reading boxing news every week, no, essentially, I wasn't then. No. then, you know, you'd, he just wouldn't be on your radar. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Which, again, makes the matchmaking more yeah, absurd. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and, and it, yeah, and I guess what's even more shocking after that, everyone can lose, but it was the way his career just petered out. Yeah, it was, you know, he clearly wasn't the same fighter. No, when he I, went in the ring, all these fights, he went in the ring clearly not expecting to win mm. in many of them. That from Farah fight is better than from Farah. It's better than Badu Jack, probably. Mm. You know, but he had zero belief left and he went in there in the first couple of rounds. It was almost like in these fights, the fights followed a similar pattern as well. He would throw a load of punches with, with no power on them. Yeah. He'd lost his power. He went back to his early days. Yeah. Because he went through this punching period, then lost it again. Yeah. And he he just wasn't getting any. Maybe he had serious hand problems. Yeah. Because he wasn't putting anything behind his punches. Yeah. Wasn't trying to win. Wasn't fighting at a million miles an hour. 
getting through, getting a payday. Very, very strange to see. Yeah. So quickly overnight. So quickly, you know, yeah, it just yeah, It yeah. was such a sharp downturn. Yeah. And it's such a shame. I don't think I've ever misjudged a... The trajectory of a fighter's career as I misjudged his. Yeah, I really did think he would be yeah. end up being a long time sort of pound for pound talent. Yeah, so, so much for the boxing scholar. Uh, yeah, <laughs> can't deny that. I've got to just take that one on the chin, mate. Right, where's the stash of magazines, mate? Completely forgot to bring them. Oh, mate. sorry. Hang on, I'll grab one. Of so my just ones. grab one of yours. We'll do a, a modern day. Right, I have pulled out an edition of Boxing News dated March 16th, 2023, a very recent edition. And on the front cover is a very good fighter who I think may be on the cusp potentially of um, becoming a world-level fighter, Dan Aziz. He's about to fight Joshua, or he he should hopefully be fighting Joshua Boazzi soon, which I think is... No, he is thinking they've, they've um, it's been booked in October 24th, I think it is. It's oh, got okay. a date, date and a venue. I o- think it, O2. I think it's a 50-50 fight, personally. Ooh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I think I'm with you. I might even just about edge Aziz. Yeah, no, I, I like Dan Aziz a lot. So, so this I. this this episode, this edition of uh, Boxing News is fresh off his... Uh, victory where he beat someone whose name I can't remember right now, but this is when he won the European title. So Dan Aziz on the front, and then we've got uh, a piece on the mooted Tyson Fury Alexander Usyk fight, which we won't discuss because it's not happening. <laughs> Probably never will. Judging by Tyson Fury's comments, did you see? He said that he's um, he's basically accomplished everything in boxing, and now he's mm-hmm. looking at other things. So I think he mentioned maybe. A movie or something like that. I mean, he really is now. What just is what I think now is is happened to Tyson Fury. I'm I'm sure he he must be diagnosed ADHD, right? Oh, surely, right. But his his whole his entire behaviour now seems to be: what can I do that will get me the most amount of attention for the least amount of hassle? And, and what can I from, do that contradicts what I did this morning? Exactly. Yeah. So fight an MMA fighter who's got no chance okay I'll do that after that he was discussing the possibility of fighting John Jones in the UFC now he's I think he's talking about you know doing a movie or maybe going back to WWE he'll probably do another series of um, At Home with the Furies on Netflix but yeah anyway gosh See, I reckon, just I reckon, mad I reckon he wins this fight hopefully he wins this fight against um, Ngarnu oh Ngarnu no, no, yeah, I'm yeah. going on to Fury yeah Hopefully he wins this fight against Ngannou, but he's gambling with the whole future of the sport. I think it's disgusting that he's taking this. Yeah. Absolutely disgusting. He's get, if he just gets if, chin, if he loses, which could happen, yeah. then it's the end of boxing. I yeah. know this is like, that is when the heart and soul of the sport goes because yeah. we will have lost it to MMA forever. Yeah. We can't get that back. They'll have our heavyweight championship. Yeah. will uh, be a joke. A joke, yeah. Completely agree. The other thing which I, I read which was quite interesting is that apparently... Um, UFC are looking at branching into boxing. Yeah. I mean... I've been looking at that for years. Yeah, but wouldn't it be yeah. funny if they if Ngannou won <laughs> and they just set it up and Ngannou's the game back. Well, heavyweight think, boxing champion. Look, if we... Let, let's just... Should but we just look favourably? No, no, no. Let's look favourably on Tyson Fury here. Yeah, Just okay, for a second, yeah, yeah. right? Because we never do with yeah. this stuff. If we're looking favourably... And Garnu has a contract with a PFL which starts next calendar year. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So that starts 2024. Yeah. And Garnu had an agreement with the PFL 
but the agreement was I start with you in 2024, I get to have one boxing match before that. Right. So this was Tyson Fury's only chance. Right. Mm. So if they're going to do the Nganu thing, it yeah. happens now or never. And he's taken a free hit, it's 20 million quid or whatever. Yeah. Right. All right. Fine. Whatever. All right. Do that. Looking favorably, I would say, whereas you said that the Usyk fight's not happening. Well, actually, I think we're closer never to that fight happening. Mm. They've gone quiet on it lately. Um, we've got this guy, um, Al Sheep, yeah. who's just come into the sport. Yeah who will want to make that fight, they do have his contract over there. I reckon the contracts will just be put in to Al Sheikh's name or something. I reckon, you know, end of the day, if the if the Saudi state wants yeah. um, Al Sheikh to uh, manage boxing but, over in Saudi, then they'll take him. So what I'm saying is, is that it all goes over to him. It's an easy fight to make now. He's looked so beat. He looks rubbish in that Dubai fight. Yeah. Um, so Tyson Fury is going to want to fight him there. Yeah. I actually think that fight happens next, mate. Oh, okay. Interesting take. Perfect Interesting timing. Take. Perfect Even timing. The- all, every, every, all the ducks are in a row now. It's perfect timing as long as Fury don't get chinned. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, although I, I still take the view that Fury is not is is running away from Usyk, not because he thinks he's going to. Music will just batter him because that's never going to happen. No. I think he Threat. genuinely just thinks, no, at, at this current time, he's just too good a boxer, too crafty, and will just take me to places I'm not really interested in going. Yeah, and I think that there is that thing that after the third Wilder fight, who can blame Fury really for avoiding any kind of slight challenge ever since? Because he took punishment that no man should ever take in that yeah, ring. Yeah. And he came back. So, yeah, I can understand that. And I think that, absolutely, I agree with you, Joe, but I also agree, and I also agree with you, that he didn't want no part over the last little while because he didn't want to work hard. He didn't want want that smoke. But I also think that he would have watched Usyk against Dubois and just gone, oh, right, easy fight. Because trust me, I mean, Tyson Fury is on a different level to this fellow at heavyweight. He'll, He'll do him easily. See, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. I think Easily. I still think different that's levels of heavyweight. Mate. Alexander Usyk is a great fighter. He is not a great heavyweight. They are two different things. I, I agree. He's not a great heavyweight. But Tyson Fury is. He is a great heavyweight, and I, I don't think Alexander Usyk's a great heavyweight. But when you still look at his body of work, he hasn't lost to any heavyweight yet. He's beaten AJ twice. You know, and and that's no mean feat. You know, I'm that, not saying he's not. You know, he, he can take not. a punch from a heavyweight fighter as well. He can. T- he he has got good punch resistance, and I do. And I think the one thing that Usyk has, which um, no other heavyweight has, but this is more as a result of him not net, net being a natural heavyweight, is he's really got the ability to pour it on over twelve rounds, and he's so intelligent. Mm, but he's I just mean, not big enough. Yeah, I mean, that simply comes down to that. Right, we are done, and I thoroughly enjoyed this one. We hope you have too. Joel, any last words for our listeners? Love you all. And on that note, goodbye. <laughs>